Welcome to the Soul Traveler Podcast, an exploration of conscious living with your host, Jennifer Mitchell of The Soul Experience. Join Jennifer as she explores the quantum realms of the subconscious mind and all aspects of spirituality. Driven by curiosity and a thirst for knowledge, topics will stretch the boundaries of your imagination and revive your mind, body, and soul. Hey, Soul Travelers. Today is going to be a real treat for you, and this has got to be one of my favorite episodes yet with Mark Gober, a renowned author, international speaker, and Princeton graduate. I had an in-depth discussion all about consciousness. We challenge the belief that consciousness is contained within the body and talk all about his groundbreaking research into mainstream science and the scientists and doctors who support the theory that consciousness may actually exist outside the body. Yes, you heard that correct, that consciousness may actually exist outside the body. If you loved today's episode, then please show your support by hitting the five-star button and leave me a review on Apple Podcast. Also, make sure that you follow the show so you never miss an episode. If you're ready for some mind candy, then stop what you're doing and buckle your seatbelts because we're about to take off. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show. I've really been looking forward to chatting with you today, and I'm just so fascinated with your research about consciousness. How are you doing today? Hi, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Absolutely. I would love if you could start off by telling us your backstory and how did you get started with your research on this topic? It happened unexpectedly. Consciousness was not a topic I grew up being interested in, and my career was in business. I worked in investment banking in New York, and then I was in Silicon Valley advising tech companies for about 10 years. And while I was in Silicon Valley in 2016, I was listening to podcasts. And in a lot of ways at that point in my life, I hit a wall like professionally, personally, I felt like I was on a treadmill and like always trying to accomplish the next thing and whether or not it worked out, I feel like I wasn't, I didn't have any broader sense of meaning or purpose. So at the time I was just interested in like alternative health. I started listening to just podcasts in general, but the alternative health space was interesting to me. And I came across a show called Extreme Health Radio. And I heard a number of episodes, but then just one day in August of 2016, the next one in the queue was a woman named Laura Powers who talked about her experiences with psychic phenomena, like as a psychic advising clients. And I just remember being intrigued because I had never heard anything like that at the time. And I was, I mean, beyond science fiction, I was very much an agnostic atheist. So I didn't believe in any higher intelligence or purpose in the universe. I thought life was random and meaningless and that when you die, that's the end. There's no continuation of any consciousness or anything. So when I heard that conversation with Laura Powers, I was intrigued because I hadn't heard that idea yet in the way she described it. And she had her own podcast called Healing Powers. So I said, oh, that's interesting. She'd mentioned it in her interview. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, why don't I just listen to this new podcast? And then I started listening to a bunch of Laura's episodes. Eventually, I listened to all of her episodes back to 2011. I couldn't believe that there were so many people who had different backgrounds that were coming up with a similar conclusion about the mm -hmm. way reality works. Then I started to read books and scientific papers. Some of them were referenced in Laura's podcast. Others I just came across through other research. And very quickly, I realized that I had to rethink my whole view about the nature of reality itself. And this was in the like fall of 2016. And it was a disorienting period because in my network... In the business world, I didn't know any other people who thought this way. So I just thought maybe I'm going crazy. <laughs> and then I researched more and more, started to work with people who claim to have psychic abilities, worked with alternative healers, basically everything that I heard about, I wanted to try it for myself. And there were people that sometimes could do things that I couldn't explain, meaning like something seemed to be going on that was validating the scientific research that I came across. And then about it. the next summer of 2017, after I had just been continuing to research and trying to just like make sense of all this stuff, I decided, why not? Why don't I just write a book about this topic? And that was my first book, An End to Upside Down Thinking, which has led me on this journey of eventually leaving my job at the end of 2019, coming out with a podcast series on the same topic called Where Is My Mind? And that came out in 2019. And now four new books have come out since I left my job. So it's five books total and the podcast series. And I've just been on this continued journey of trying to understand what is reality really and what are we doing here? 
Oh my goodness. So much of your story really resonates with me. So many of my listeners know, but I have a background in banking as well. And I found myself in a very similar situation where I would just be sitting in these meetings and going over debates and races and Six Sigma and analyzing things. And I started to feel like there's got to be more than this. I didn't feel fulfilled in my work either. And so I started very similar. I started like researching and I came across, for me, my catalyst was Dolores Cannon. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work, but when I started researching Dolores Cannon, I was so intrigued and it, it was about 2017 as well. And I went from my first quantum healing session and my subconscious mind came forward to tell me that I needed to leave my job and then I needed to be a practitioner. So that was, <laughs> and I went back to the banking world and I just felt so disconnected and like they didn't understand and I felt out of water. And then when the pandemic came and 2020 is when I left my job and yes, Laura Power, she's someone who I consider a personal mentor of mine. It's how we got connected. I've been on her podcast and she's been a guest on this podcast and so she was really your catalyst for starting this research, you would say? Yeah, she was the initial domino. That's the way I would put it. And just one other caveat, I would say that when I was in this fear period where I felt lost, I wasn't, at least at a conscious level, I wasn't looking for a new view of reality because I thought mm -hmm. science had determined what reality is. And maybe mm -hmm. they were trying to figure out the details, but I thought very firmly that life was random and meaningless. And I just happened to stumble across this new worldview that like Laura started for me, but I was like looking for more fulfillment. So it wasn't like I was feeling like life was meaningless and therefore I wanted to try to find a new worldview. I was set in that worldview and then things got blown open <laughs> unexpectedly. That's really how it happens. Like you just get plopped open and, and when you start to realize that there's more out there. And so would you say that you were a skeptic at first, even with, when you started listening to Laura's podcast, or at what point did you start to really start to adopt these theories and maybe believe that there is more out there? It happened relatively quickly. I, maybe a few months into it, it started mm -hmm. to solidify because I came across so much evidence and I couldn't, in my rational mind, shoot it all down. But I was probably, yeah, I was a more skeptical person. I still am a skeptical person, but I didn't just believe everything the first time I heard it. I wanted to validate it, but I was intrigued because when I heard Laura and the guests on her show, they didn't sound like they were trying to fabricate something. So I didn't think they were consciously lying, but I wasn't sure if they were maybe delusional or maybe there was something that they believed, but they were misinterpreting it. And I was trying to understand how so many people could come to these conclusions. And where I've come out on it is that they're genuinely experiencing something that is a part of the reality that we're in. And listening to your podcast, one thing that really resonated for me, and I loved how you explained it because it helped me to understand this complex topic, is that so through your research and interviews of several scientists and doctors, you've come to the theory that consciousness ultimately resides potentially outside of the body. And you use the analogy that consciousness is similar to a cloud, like an iCloud, and that the brain is like the device that pulls the data from the cloud. For our listeners, can you like elaborate a little bit more on that? I may not be explaining it or doing it justice. Sure. That was accurate. So the term consciousness, let's start there because there are different definitions for it. The way I think about it is that it is our sense of experiencing, our subjective inner awareness. So consciousness is what allows us to experience this conversation. It allows us to hear things and like we would not be able to even have this conversation without consciousness there. Another way to think about it is when I say that I am having this conversation, that sense of I-ness is what I mean by consciousness. So consciousness isn't our thoughts per se, but it is the thing that is registering that the thought has occurred. So if I say that I'm having a thought, there's a distinction between I, the pure consciousness and the thought. So the big challenge in science that I didn't even realize was a challenge until I started researching is that consciousness is an abstraction in some ways. It's not physical. And that's why it takes a really long time to try to define it because I can't point to it. I can point to this chair. I can touch the chair or our bodies. Our bodies are physical. We can touch them and we can draw them out. Consciousness isn't. 
And in science, this is known as the hard problem of consciousness. And Science Magazine, a very mainstream outlet, mm -hmm. this is the number two question that remains in all of science, which I'm just going to paraphrase a different way. How is it that something physical like a body or a brain could produce something like consciousness, which isn't physical? And what I argue in my books and in the podcast series, Where Is My Mind?, is that the reason that science hasn't figured out the answer to this question is that they're asking the wrong question. They're presuming that we, it must be the case that consciousness just pops out of the body somehow because we know that the brain is so closely related to the experiences that we have. If you look at neuroscience, we can find a close correlation between, let's say, someone who has a brain injury and then they have a change in their memory or they have a change in their vision. We can point to the parts of the brain that are associated with that. The problem, though, is that it's not always the case that just because two things are related, that one thing causes the other thing. It could be that there's a different relationship. And that's what you were alluding to and what I, where I come out, which is that the brain is involved in our conscious experience, but it's not producing it. So the brain could be likened more to an antenna receiver or mm -hmm. receiver transmitter that's picking something up, sending and receiving. So it's the processor rather than the thing that's producing it. Another way to think about it, which I think is a bit more of a precise analogy, is that the brain is like a filtering mechanism or a blindfold. So the brain and the body actually get in the way of a much broader consciousness. And when you get the brain out of the way, then more consciousness is experienced. And one last thing on this point, an analogy I often reference is, it comes from Dr. Bernardo Castrup, a philosopher, who says that all of reality could be likened to a stream of water where water represents consciousness. And each of us is a whirlpool within that stream. So we have a sense of being an individual, but there's a broader stream that we're interconnected as a part of. So as an individual whirlpool, you could tap into other parts of the stream if you allowed that water to get in. And that's like the brain consciousness analogy is that we've got this little whirlpool that limits what we're mm -hmm. experiencing, but there's a much broader stream out there that we can tap into. I mean, and that, all of that is just so fascinating. And it, to me, it makes complete sense more so than you know that the brain is actually producing the consciousness. It, it aligns for me. Why do you think it is? I find it so interesting that conventional science really doesn't seem to want to talk about this subject. It's almost as if it's taboo. Why do you think that is? It's very much taboo. And I think it's because of many reasons. One is that some scientists, many scientists would have to admit that they were wrong about their worldview. And that's a hard mm -hmm. thing to handle. And we've seen this with other paradigm shifts throughout history is that scientists believe one thing and then a new theory comes along and they're resistant to it. So there's a bit of ego involved. But this paradigm shift that we're talking about here, I think is has bigger issues and is harder to overcome because the implication is that there is some kind of a spiritual dimension that transcends the body. And scientists tend to, and I was like this too, to reject anything that sounds like it comes from something of spirituality or religion or relates to those topics, mm -hmm. because there is this view that religion and spirituality are forms of superstition, and we've transcended that. These ideas that we're talking about here are pointing back to something that scientists might say is ancient, an ancient way of looking at the world. So there's that aspect of it. And I think there's another area, which I don't fully understand, but I'm starting to think it's the case more and more, which is that there's a mix of dark light within this stream of consciousness. And we're talking about today is pointing to the innate power or the innate divinity within the human being, which is very empowering to the individual. So you could imagine, let's say if you had this knowledge and you wanted power over other people, you wouldn't necessarily want them to understand who and what they are. And it might be some of the reason that we have certain suppression. And I'll give one example from a scientist. He studies the science of spirituality in Canada. And he was told by a woman who runs a very big institution in Canada that as long as she's in charge, she will never allow him to run studies on spiritual science there. And so what his conclusion was is that there is a form of social engineering and a form of dark light where this stuff is being suppressed from the top down. So it's probably some combination of all of that. I would agree with that. One thing I kind of want to touch on, I'm going to go back a little, is a statement that you said is that when consciousness is out of the way, we were able to access this greater pool because I feel like that aligns heavily with my work. So I do, as a hypnotherapist, when we regress, the conscious mind is on the back burner and then we allow the higher self to come forward. And so I'm wondering if through your research, would you say that the higher self or would be similar to just basically accessing like this greater pool of consciousness. It's like the, for, for my work, it's like the part of us that's connected to source is how I explain it to my client. Yeah. I think the, the terminology here gets tricky because we're dealing with mm -hmm. something so abstract, but the way I think about it is that there seems to be a source of knowledge that's not 
from the body exclusively. Like the body will process that knowledge and information, but we're getting the knowledge from somewhere else. So your cell phone is not picking up, the data is not coming from the device itself. It has an antenna and it's picking it up from another source. Mm -hmm. It's like that. And when there are ways of altering the body and the brain so that the signal can be picked up in a purer fashion. So things like meditation or hypnosis, or even on a more extreme end, like psychedelics seem to be able to do this or a near-death experience when the person's brain is totally gone. There are different types of mechanisms where people seem to have these expanded forms of consciousness. I would love to talk about that too, because one of the things that I do is past life regression. And you mentioned that in your podcast, you were talking about past life regression and experiences that you've uncovered through your research. And when I regress my clients, I'm a firm believer as a practitioner, because I've seen the evidence, like the details that people can recall. And most importantly, is the feelings, the emotions, they can look into somebody's eyes, and they will miss that person and they'll start crying. And so I see a lot of evidence that supports that past life regression is real and that our soul has lived multiple experiences, or maybe even imprinted on various lifetimes. That's a concept that I've been considering too. Did we really live that experience or did our soul imprint on a certain lifetime so that we could pick up that knowledge and maybe bring it forth into this life experience? What do you have to say about like past life regression? What have you uncovered through your conversations and research? With regard to past lives, let's just think about it conceptually. If we use this whirlpool analogy as a very broad way of describing the nature of reality. It's probably way more complex than this, but it's for purposes of the discussion, I think it's helpful. One whirlpool could stop being a whirlpool. And the, the analogy is that like when the human body stops functioning, the body dies, but the mm-hmm. consciousness continues. So the water flows back into the stream, even though it stops being a whirlpool, it just delocalizes into something else. So that's like our consciousness is continuing when the body dies, but then the water could then reconfigure into a new whirlpool. And that by analogy is reincarnation. At least conceptually, reincarnation is totally conceivable. And then there's a lot of evidence for this. So in my book, An End to Upside Down Thinking, for example, which is the first book that I wrote, I have a full chapter on the research done at the University of Virginia, their division of perceptual studies, which is a rare thing at a mainstream institution to have something like this. And it's because Dr. Ian Stevenson discovered this decades ago when he was working with children, that some of them were talking about a life that was not their own. And he was very credible. They allowed this group Mm -hmm. to stay at UVA. It's pretty remarkable findings, over 2,500 cases, some are stronger than others, where the kids' memories are like validated by historical records, or sometimes the children even have birthmarks or physical defects that align with the way they alleged to have died in the previous life. And in the best cases, there are medical records where they find a person that died in that exact manner. And somehow there's a physical attribute in the new person that matches up with it. And the child has memories of this stuff. So what's interesting about those cases with children is that the memories seem to fade as life goes on. So there are probably many other cases of children remembering something from maybe another lifetime and the parents might just dismiss it. Or if they don't believe in reincarnation, they might not take it seriously to even investigate it. So there are probably many more cases than are reported. Mm -hmm. Now, with regard to past life regression hypnosis, that seems to be another way in which memories come about. And this can be adults too. It doesn't have to be children. And these are often adults who maybe they don't consciously remember it, but then they want to they want to go back into their lifetime. So they're as very well, they're taken back into a hypnotic, relaxed state and the memory seems to be unlocked. Now mm-hmm. there are different opinions on past life regression hypnosis. Like I, I've come across many cases where people have major success stories, but there can be more ambiguity sometimes because it's like, you don't know what the image is coming up. And sometimes people have clearer memories than others. But even Dr. Stevenson, who was, he preferred from UVA, he preferred the children, the cases of children versus hypnosis. But he said there were cases that he couldn't explain where people were under hypnosis, that information was coming through. So this seems to be a valid method, even though it can be tricky sometimes to decode exactly what's happening. But what I think, and I'm curious to hear your opinion, is that some people have real healings through the process, which indicates that something seems to be going on, like they're unlocking and maybe an aspect that's, that was unhealed in themselves because it, they couldn't even see that it, it wasn't part of this life. So they might go back through their own life and say, well, I don't have any trauma, but that's because the trauma was not from the life that mm-hmm. they could even remember. It's very common, actually. And one thing that you touched on was the birthmarks. 
people having birthmarks, oftentimes client would have a birthmark or something, maybe like on their stomach, let's say for instance, and when we regress, we find out that they were stabbed or that something happened in that area. I recently had a client a couple of weeks ago who was having problems with her throat. Her throat chakra was blocked, but furthermore, she she thought that she had throat cancer and she was actually going to the doctor and they were checking into that and running tests. And when we regressed her, it turned out that she was actually hung in a previous life because they thought that she was a witch. And so we did a clearing on that. And when we woke up from the session, she said that she felt immediately felt better. And she said that she could actually feel the energy. So that's something that's very common. When I regress clients, I would say about maybe 60 to 70% of my clients say that they can feel physical changes during the regression. Really mm-hmm. common lately is a lot of warming sensation and the hands has been coming up. And I find that interesting. Is it some sort of activation? They'll say, my hands were burning. They were burning. It didn't hurt, but they were burning. And so there's definitely, there is, I believe in the self-healing and the cap- the powers of the mind. We barely understand, I think, the brain and what we're capable of doing. So absolutely would say that there is something going on. I would also like to touch on one thing that you said about the children, because as a practitioner, I'm honestly conflicted with that because yes, children do remember these past lives and they have these recollections. And as a practitioner, I'm very hesitant. I actually won't do it. I won't arrest a child because mm-hmm. I think that they first need to be grounded in their current life. Life is crazy. <laughs> this world, there's so much going on and children are learning to navigate. And I want to know what they have to say. I think it's interesting. But at the same time, I'm like, no, they need to focus on the here and now. And I don't want to confuse a child and put by focusing on a past life when they need to focus on this current life. What would you say about that? Yeah, I haven't heard too much about hypnotherapy on children. Typically, the cases that University of Virginia is looking at are are spontaneous memories. So there's one case, for example, it's a famous case of a child who remembered being a World War II fighter pilot, and he was having nightmares, and he was smashing planes into the table because he was saying, like, I was in this plane, I can't get out, and he was reliving this event. So there was a trauma that came up that had to be addressed, and the Mm. the researchers were able to find a World War II fighter pilot in this one plane that crashed, and the details lined up. It's pretty crazy. It's one of the stronger cases, but mm-hmm. I think it's often ca- things like that where there's the child is spontaneously bringing it out on his or her own. Whereas what you're describing is like a process of trying to unlock them in maybe a less spontaneous way. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're right that if for a child to go into hypnotic regression, unless there was a reason to do it, it might not be as prudent. I don't know. I haven't thought about it too much. But these other cases, it's almost like it's unavoidable because the child is living this life and it's to the point where it's either traumatic or it's the parent wants to know what's going on because the child's talking apparently nonsense, but it's actually not nonsense. Yeah. I've actually had quite a few people approach me about doing a regression on a child for that reason, because they think my child has these memories that keep coming to me or they're having these Mm -hmm. dreams can you help? And I've, each time I, it just doesn't fit right with me. So that's mm. why I wanted your perspective on that. I'd love to shift gears a little bit and talk about psychic abilities <laughs> because our friend Laura Powers, for instance, she is a psychic and has the ability to tap into things. Would you say that people who have ESP or psychic abilities, that they're able to access part of this consciousness, this whirlpool that others are not? And do you think that everybody has that ability? I think what the scientific research suggests, and also the model of consciousness that we're talking about would make this real, is that everyone has psychic abilities. It's just innate in the same way that you can smell or taste that we're all inherently psychic, meaning we can pick up information beyond space and time. The issue though, is that some people do it, it's seemingly better than others. And maybe people have different ways of tapping in that are stronger than others. It's almost, let's say a tennis player some tennis players might have a stronger forehand. Other tennis players might have a stronger serve. Some psych- people with psychic abilities, just a normal person, might have a stronger sense of picking up certain types of psychic information differently. It's like different ways of doing it. And some people like might see things in their mind. They might get a visual. Another person might hear something. Another person might just have a sense of it that they can't describe. These are all ways of seemingly tapping in psychically. But I do think that there are some people that are like superstars of psychic abilities in the same way that in sports, someone might be really good naturally. Another another person could work really hard, but will never be as skilled. 
Uh, maybe it's because their brain is configured a certain way. Maybe it's just genetically they have an ability. And one example of that is the U.S. government's psychic spying program, which has been declassified. And these might be the, like the superstar athletes of psychic abilities where they're able to see things with their mind that's far away beyond space and time. So it's called remote viewing. Mm -hmm. And there are declassified documents that prove that this was, that they say this is a real phenomenon. The implications of this are revolutionary. For my podcast, I interviewed one of the men who ran the program in the 1970s. So though that these are examples where a person has an extreme psychic ability, maybe not everyone can do it to that level of the people in the program, but often in, in statistical studies, there there's evidence that normal human beings can know things that they shouldn't have known beyond what chance would predict. So it's not like a hundred percent accuracy, but it's a tiny bit beyond chance. And statistically, it means that some information is like getting into that person's whirlpool. Some of the water from outside the street whirlpools getting into the whirlpool. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And I know that in the 70s, they did have the remote viewing program. That's something that I'm very interested in learning actually more about and expanding on is remote viewing. Does the government today, they currently also have another program in place. Is that correct? Or was it pro has the program ceased? Technically, yeah, the program was quote unquote shut down in 1995. Mm -hmm. So that's what's been publicly disclosed. But mm -hmm. many people I've talked to and just what I hear about, I think that there are secret programs. There have been secret programs in the government forever where it's just not talked about and the information is probably being used in some way. You also talk a lot about near-death experiences and DEs. And one thing that you touched on was the life review, which I found very interesting because in my work as a practitioner, when we do a past life regression or we do the hypnosis, we go through the life and I always take them through the death scene because that's really important there. That's where lessons are learned, information comes forward. And every time after we go through the death scene, my client will go to the life review. And it's resounding. It's very similar. They all seem to say that they're waiting. They're on, now that we're on the other side, I'll say what's happening. They're like, I'm waiting. What are you waiting for? I'm waiting to review my life. And everybody seems to have the same story that there's like a committee or a council, they'll often say, where they go through the life and then with this council and they talk about what they learned, what they did right, what they needed to change. So what would you say about that that you've uncovered in your research, especially, and how does that sound different from like a near-death experience? Because it seemed like you were also seeing it with a near-death experience that people will recollect the life, but it's through everybody else's eyes as how people were experiencing them. Yeah. First, a near-death experience is an instance where a person, let's say, is in cardiac arrest. They have some mm -hmm. kind of trauma to the body and they're clinically dead or close to it. And meaning like their brain is barely functioning or sometimes it's completely off. And yet when they're resuscitated, they come back and say, I had this elaborate experience. So somehow it seems like consciousness is liberated and that's a whole separate area of study. But one of the things that's often reported when people are resuscitated is they say they reviewed their life. And this can take different forms. So they're, the one that, that I focused on in the podcast, Daniel Brinkley, he had what's called an empathic life review, which many people talk about. He has had four near-death experiences. He's had all kinds of crazy things happen where he was struck by lightning and had open heart surgery twice and brain surgery. And he was in this other realm and he relived his life each time, starting from the beginning of his life. And he became all the people that he interacted with. So in his case, he was a Marine in, earlier in his life. So during his life review, he became the people that he killed in combat. So he felt the mm -hmm. pain of the people that he killed. He felt the pain of the children who no longer had a father because he had done that. So he killed their fathers in combat. So it's an empathic situation mm -hmm. where he feels the direct effects as the person that he impacted. And he also felt the indirect effects. He said it wasn't quite as strong like being the children, but he felt it. And I looked at some of the statistics on this because there are many near-death experience reports throughout history, but also mm -hmm. in the modern era when near, when resuscitation technology is so much better, we have more reports coming back. And it's in the range of, let's say, 20 to 25, 30% of people report having a life review to varying degrees where they review their life in some capacity. There's also research done by Dr. Gregory Shushan, who's looked at near-death experiences across cultures and across time, including indigenous cultures. And what he finds in those indigenous cultures is that they don't report a life review. It's like, it's very rare or it doesn't come up at all, but he does find that there's this concept of the soul's deeds are being monitored. So there are repercussions. 
And it might just be that manifests in the death process for people in different ways. It's hard to make sense of this because near-death experiences have many similarities, but then there are differences that are hard to reconcile. And it might be that there's something unique about each person's consciousness that is coming through. I don't know exactly what it is, but it seems like what we do in life matters. That seems to be cross-cultural. And the near-death experience might be telling us something about what happens around the time of death. And maybe hypnosis is another way of getting to that period of recalling something to which we normally have amnesia. That's very interesting. One thing that you talked about was the soul's deeds. And another thing that comes up for me frequently, too, is based on the lifetime that we regress back to and what happened or occurred in that lifetime, sometimes the soul will go to a place for, they say, cleansing where they go to cleanse the soul because maybe certain things had happened in that life that they need repair from. So I find that very interesting. And I look forward to exploring that more as a practitioner. You also indicate that oftentimes like when the brain activity can be reduced instead of increased in certain situations, would you say that within your death experience that that could be what is occurring, that you said consciousness is set free? So maybe we have more access to parts of the brain that we don't necessarily do during the conscious, when we're conscious. Yeah. This is an area that I've looked at in my books and also the podcast series where mm-hmm. there it's an anomaly or a paradox relative to mainstream science where when a person has reduced brain functioning, there seems to be an enriched or a heightened sense of consciousness. So in a near-death experience, the person is in such bad shape. If they have any memories, it should just be some kind of jumbled hallucination. But Actually, the people say that it was realer than real. Wow. So it's enriched. So what is that about? And then (laughs) even they talk about hovering over their body. They have an Mm out-of-body experience often. And they'll see things or hear things inside their room or maybe outside of the room in which their body was located. And then they're resuscitated and they tell the surgeon or they tell family members things that they heard or things they saw. And people are like, what's going on? How is that possible? Because you were out. And you were under general anesthesia in addition to being in cardi- whatever physiological trauma. So it's called a veridical out-of-body experience where the memory is verified, meaning it's not a hallucination. So this is a big paradox because we have little or no brain functioning and we have a clear consciousness. And there are many examples of this. There's studies on psychedelics, which suggests that when a person is having an enriched consciousness during a psychedelic trip, when it's realer than real in some way, there are reductions in brain functioning in certain areas. Also savant syndrome, where a person has anomalies in the brain where it look, might look like they have brain damage in certain ways, and yet they have incredible mathematical ability. Mm-hmm. Like the movie Rain Man with Dustin Hoffman, where and that's based off of a real person, Kim Peek, where the memory is incredible. And yet the person is, maybe the brain is not normal relative to a typical brain in other ways. So they might have damage and yet they have an enriched consciousness. That's a strange thing. There are many examples of this, which challenge the model that the brain is what's producing consciousness. And again, is pointing to what we're discussing today, that the brain isn't maybe getting in the way of consciousness. Yeah. And I think society likes to put us in these boxes sometimes too. And that's really interesting for listeners who maybe don't know what a savant is, it is a person, actually, could you probably describe that? You probably have a better definition of a savant than I do. <laughs> yeah, it's usually a person who has extreme abilities in a certain area. So way better than the average in terms of memory, mathematical abilities, like crazy ability in those areas. And that can occur when the person has an abnormal brain. So there are also autistic savants. So the person might not act like a normal person does in terms of their mannerisms or their communication, but then they can remember things like crazy stuff or they can just do crazy kinds of math. So it's this pattern again, where the brain seems to be not working like a normal brain does, and yet their consciousness is off the charts. It's interesting that we're talking about this because I had a conversation just last week with a fellow podcaster and we were talking about ADHD and we were talking about being on the spectrum and autism. And she had interviewed a lady on her show where her son was deemed autistic and doctors categorized him. He was nonverbal and she took him to a special schooling and they gave him some sort of communication device. And I'm not really sure on the specifics, but what she found out was that he was highly intelligent and more so than you or I would be. And that he actually had full recollection. He was able to communicate to his mom. He had full recollection of picking her to be his mother and coming into this lifetime and he was telling her mom i'm sorry because he i guess he like hits himself he his movements he can't control his movements and he says i'm sorry i don't mean to be difficult to you 
if I could help myself, I would. I picked you to be my mom. And so she ended up writing a book about this. And so I'm wondering, he sounds like he could be considered what we're, what we're talking about a savant. He ends up being highly intelligent where mainstream doctors or scientists wanted to dismiss that per se. And had he not gotten this communication device, she may not have never even known of, that her son was capable of these things. Yeah, it definitely could be an example of it. And I think it's an important area of studying savant mm-hmm. syndrome because it is something that is acknowledged by mainstream science, but it's not well understood. It's not well understood how people could, even if they had a normal brain, let's say, how they could memorize the things that they do, or they can do math so quickly, or sometimes they have musical abilities that are so incredible that it's not well explained by conventional models. And maybe they'll say, well, yeah, it's like they're unlocking something genetically, or I don't know. I don't think the explanations are very good. Whereas I think a better explanation is that they're tapping into something. Their brain yeah. is able to tap in and it's maybe because the antenna is tweaked in a certain way. Very interesting. And everything you're saying makes so much sense, which to me is why it's so baffling why mainstream science doesn't expand more on that. And I think eventually we're going to have to face that and we're going to have to accept these different concepts in order for us to advance as a society. Yeah, I think so. And then also just to advance scientifically, there's so many mysteries that are probably not solved because consciousness is misunderstood. Consciousness is considered to be just something that pops out of the body and that's it. Whereas the alternative model suggests that consciousness is something fundamental in the universe itself. So Mm -hmm. how can physicists or biologists or chemists or anyone doing any kind of equation have an accurate equation if consciousness is not being accounted for properly? And now I also, you talk a little bit about, I believe in your book, or maybe it was another podcast I was listening to about UFOs and abductions. And one of my guests that I actually had on was one of my clients who, when we regressed her, recalled an entire experience of being abducted. It was quite fascinating. She had missed, she came to me because she had missing time and she, there was, they went to the grocery store and they don't remember going to the store. And then all of a sudden they were sitting on the couch, like several hours had passed. And so with your experience and through your resource, research, excuse me, what do you have to say about alien abductions? Do you think that people are tapping into another dimension? Is is it really happening? Are they coming down and researching us, gathering? It seems to me like they gather DNA and data from us is what I'm concluding. Yeah, there's so many reports of this. It sounds really outrageous for those of us who don't have a recollection of such an experience. And I, I qualify it because it's possible that some people have had the experience and don't remember it. Because I would say I've never had an alien encounter, but like you say, Jennifer, missing time is a very common report where time is just gone. Like someone was on the side of the road, then they're at home and they don't know what happened in the intervening hours. And there's lots of cases like that. But what, I mean, I'd heard lots of cases about this throughout my research over the years. And then I dug further into the work of John Mack, who was the head of psychiatry at Harvard and a Pulitzer Prize winner. So this was a mainstream doctor, academic who heard about some of these cases, people alleging that they were abducted. So he wanted to investigate it. He used hypnotic techniques as well. And his conclusion was that people were having legitimate, genuine experiences. So he wrote a book called Abduction, which was published in 1994. And it's a pretty academic book where he goes through case studies of people that he talked to. And they have memories sometimes of an abduction or an alien some kind of encounter with a non-human intelligence before hypnosis. And then he puts them under this hypnosis and more memories are unlocked. And he goes through many case studies of that. I think something is going on. I don't really understand it. It does Mm -hmm. seem to be in another dimension in part because John Mack says this as well. Some of the cases seem to be happening when the person's body hasn't moved. And in other cases, their body has moved, which is just perplexing. I don't understand. I don't know how to make sense of all this. Yeah. And then also there are cases of people on the psychedelic DMT, dimethyltryptamine, and Dr. Rick Stratton from the University of New Mexico has studied this where he injects people with the psychedelic. And so they're getting a high dose. Spontaneously, many of those people were talking about encounters with other intelligences, including things that sound a lot like an abduction, even mm-hmm. though he didn't know much about alien abductions and his subjects in the research the people who were having the experience, they wow. were not often alien abduction people. So it's, again, their body was in one place and their mind or their consciousness was maybe in another dimension. That That's just the mind candy right there. It's so <laughs> intriguing. And one thing I'd like to touch on is my client, the one that I was just referring to, when we did the hypnosis, she had multiple encounters, we found out. But one thing that she said, which I found very interesting, was during one of the encounters, she went into the backyard and she thought it was her husband standing in the backyard. 
And all of a sudden she looks up and she sees like this bright light. And she said that her consciousness was being pulled and sucked out of her body. Mm. She could feel it being like yanked out of her body. And when we regressed her, it turns out that they, it seemed like there was some reprogramming of the memory. So it really wasn't her husband in the backyard it, that, which she kind of actually suspected that prior to us talking. She says, I have this, this memory, but I can't tell it's really fuzzy. And so they, it seems like they, there was some reprogramming. They wanted her to believe it was her husband, but it was like, it was an entity that she saw or an alien. And they had pulled her consciousness out of the body. So to your point, maybe her body actually never moved. It was just like the consciousness that, and that they were taking from her body to do, to do some sort of research with. I find that fascinating. Yeah, this is so important because what you're alluding to, it's known as a screen memory, S-C-R-E-N mm-hmm. memory. Yes. Commonly reported where I'll give an example from Mike Cleland, who studies the overlap between owls and alien encounters or other animals. There's this weird parallel that comes up all the time. And he says, let's say a person is driving and goes on the side of the road and sees this owl and then and is like looking at the owl. And then a few hours have passed. They don't know what Mm. happened. They got home. So then they go under hypnosis to see if they can uncover what happened during the missing time. And the hypnotherapist says, why don't you go over that owl and describe what the owl looks like? And the person will say, actually, that's not an owl. That's a gray alien. So there's this notion that the beings can, it may be one of two things. They could implant a memory so that you remember something that's not true, Mm -hmm. a screen memory, or maybe and or it's shape-shifting that the beings can appear one way, but they're not actually that thing. And John Mack said that the alien beings appear to be consummate shapeshifters. This is like a common report when people have encounters with other entities. So it's really making me question everything now because can you really trust your own memory with anything in your life? Is it a screen memory or is part of it a screen memory? Can you trust people that you encounter? Are they what they appear to be? Are they not? Can you even trust the near-death experience cases? where there's so many encounters or these afterlife reports that you're encountering with people under mm-hmm. hypnosis, there are other mm-hmm. beings around them with the uh, going, talking to that, or, or let's say with them during their life review. Yeah. Who are these beings? Are they sometimes shapeshifters who are manipulating people or are they sometimes exactly what they are? I don't know how, I don't know what to make of it. I think we're only going to find out when we pass. <laughs> yeah. But it's so interesting. And I just love talking. I could talk for hours about these subjects and one thing also I think is important to note is so when we did this re- regression, there was a video that was found on the phone. So it turns out that they had pulled off to the side of the road and they saw like a hovering orb. And mm-hmm. so the orb, and they don't even recall this video and they found it several months after, after the regression. And so in the video, there was actually three orbs, excuse me, and they were like hovering in a line. And then they pulled the car over and the, the boyfriend or husband was filming it. And then the orbs were all horizontal. And then all of a sudden, they flip and they align vertically. And then you see them start to get closer and closer. And then they melt into one red orb. And then the video cuts off. Yeah, it is very, yeah, very interesting. And so sometimes they also wonder too, to your point, is it a screen memory or is our own subconscious protecting us? Is our own mind protecting us because it doesn't serve our higher purpose or it doesn't serve us to remember or to recall these things? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, we might just be dealing with things that are so advanced that we mm-hmm. cannot comprehend it. And we're taking little pieces of evidence and trying to put it together. But the more I look at this, the more confusing it is to me. I don't feel like I have a good grasp of it. And as I was researching, especially for my book, An End to Upside Down Contact, which talks about contact with non-human intelligences, I did not get a strong sense that any of the researchers or even the experiencers really know what's going on. Yeah, There are just so many theories and people are guessing. One thing that I find interesting too is suppression. It's very common that people come to me and they don't remember, they don't remember large periods of their life, childhood, for instance. I also think that, that the mind suppresses a lot of things too, or programs like to your point earlier, do we even know if any of the memories we have are ours? (laughs) Are they real? So I guess only time will tell and further research, but it's true. Like the more that we expand into this and so many things could be probable. Memory is an inherently problematic concept 
because it's always occurring in the present moment and it's an inference. And yet mm-hmm. that inference, even though it might be true, I don't know, it's, maybe it's a reasonable inference to make that X, Y, and Z happened because we remember it. Our view of reality is often influenced or informed heavily by our memories. And we just don't know if they're real. One thing that I've actually found out or that I've concluded through my research is that time is quantum. So meaning outside of this 3D reality, this conversation, for instance, that we're having right now is time that only exists in this reality and then once we're outside of this reality like for instance in the 5d there is no time and it seems to me as though everything is happening all at once simultaneously at the same time so what we would consider a past life or future is technically happening all right now simultaneously at least that's what i've gathered or the conclusion that i've come through my regression and through my research as a practitioner that's what i think as well is that it's at some level of reality that we're not perceiving, it's all simultaneous. And our perception of sequence is just a perception and it's our way of making sense of the world. So we see past to present to future and we use memory and thought to get there. But in our own true experience, there's nothing other than the present moment. So what you're saying aligns with our experience, which is there's only one now. It's just that we're not always accessing all the information. Yeah. And would you say, or do you think that for instance, when we talk, touch a little bit about psychedelics, that people are able to tap into that and experience the past, present, and future all at the same time when they do psychedelics. And because you do say that the mind actually expands when somebody does that, your consciousness expands rather than the latter. Yeah, it seems that the consciousness is liberated in the psychedelic experience in addition to other experiences too. But what's I don't know what to make of that either because people mm-hmm. will report different things on different substances, but they do, let's say on dimethyltryptamine DMT, the one I mm-hmm. mentioned before, which is produced by the body, but it's usually just like decomposes pretty quickly. So we're not tripping all the time. Whereas if you're injecting it, like Dr. Strassman, people have a, a crazy trips or ayahuasca, the plant brew, the combination of chemicals keeps it active in the body. And people are reporting this sort of thing that you're talking about, oneness, being outside of time. Maybe it's not reported during every trip, but mm-hmm. there seem to be alter- other realms of consciousness, regardless of how they're achieved, where people have a very similar worldview. They talk about unconditional love, interconnectedness, it's beyond words, no time, that sort of thing comes up everywhere. Yeah, it's very interesting. Like I've considered doing it, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous about it. So. Yeah, one of the reasons I may, I'm nervous too is that I just, people encounter entities, they encounter other beings. And Dr. Strassman actually stopped his study and he wrote about this in his book, DMT, The Spirit Molecule, because Mm. people were coming back, they were encountering beings and it wasn't always pleasant with these other intelligences. And I do think there is dark and light. And I feel like I'm just not qualified to know how to navigate this stuff. If you're in another dimension with these beings, how do you even know that they're not tricking you? First of all, if they just Mm -hmm. appear to be benevolent, they could be a shapeshifter or they maybe they're malevolent and then they give you a screen memory. So you come back from your trip and you're like, think they were all benevolent, but they actually weren't. I don't know. (laughs) I think that if for anybody who's considering doing psychedelics, it's something you really have to be ready for. And as long as you have a question in your mind, I don't think it's the right time. So for me, I think it's still a no. (laughs) I know some people also have very positive experience. Mm -hmm. It can be transformative in a positive way. So I don't know where Mm -hmm. I come out on this stuff. I just think like anything, um, there's positives and negatives and it has to be done carefully. Yeah. Mark, what can people expect from you next? What's the next project that you're working on? I wish I knew, Jennifer. (laughs) I really don't know. It's this pattern I've gotten myself into. So since I left my job at the end of 2019, early 2020, I left my job. I didn't know what I was going to do next. I'd written one book and done a podcast series. And then I said, oh, there's, I know there's a second book I'm going to write. And that was an end upside down living. And I've continued to do this. And my most recent book came out a few months ago, an end to the upside down reset, which is more like sociological, what's happening in society. And I, I really don't know. I would love to have a little more direction, but that's part of this process, I think, is uh-huh. like letting things unfold. And it's I've been in this uncomfortable situation multiple times now, and I'm back in it. Absolutely. But I think that when we are in those uncomfortable situations, that's when we do our greatest work. And somehow the universe always unfolds and presents to us our next opportunity. I'll be honest, like when I left my corporate job, I'll say that I referred to it as the matrix, I didn't know what the heck I was going to do either. Like I knew I wanted to be a practitioner, but I was like, is this going to work out? 
and I'm nervous and uncomfortable and well, here I am. So I'm still here and opportunities unfold daily. And so I think that that you'll stumble across the next opportunity or the next thing that you want to do. And it's going to be incredible. And Thank you. for our listeners out there, I will include all of the links to your books where they can purchase them. I'm assuming on Amazon, they're available. So I'll make sure to link all of your books and also your podcast. They will include in the show notes as well. There's any final words or final advice that you have for listeners today before we wrap up? I would just say that exploring these topics is mind expanding and life changing. So I know there are like different types of people that get into this stuff. I'm on the extreme end of the spectrum. I became my whole life and it seems like you're like we're in a similar boat where we just went all in. But then I know people who will dip their toe in and maybe they'll listen to an interview here and there. And it's it's interesting, but then you go back to daily life. And Mm -hmm. I was in that back and forth phase in in the very beginning because I was still in my job and I had to split my energy. But eventually I think it's hard to go back and forth. And you have to, if you accept that reality is not the way that we were presented with growing up, then you have no choice but to change your life because then you see reality differently. And then in order to align with reality, it no longer makes sense to do that other stuff. So I just wanted to share that back and forth that can occur as you you dive in. Yeah. And I agree. Once you see, there's really no going back. You almost, you have to expand on that. And I think for me, what kept me in the back and forth was just me being nervous about what people would think about me or being a judge and I'm sure that people think I'm crazy and at this point I'm just like oh I don't really care (laughs) I'm living my life for me and people are going to judge you regardless so I'm out to find out the truth I want to research I want as much of this information as I can get because it is intriguing finding out new things every day well I have to say this has been absolutely one of my favorite conversations that I've had and I'd love to have you back on as a guest in the future as well So thank you so much for your time today, Mark. Thank you again, Jennifer. I enjoyed it. Me too. This podcast is brought to you by The Soul Experience, quantum healing hypnosis. Are you ready to embark on an inward journey of quantum healing? Quantum healing hypnosis is the most profound method of inner work and self-healing someone can do while on a spiritual path. In a single session, you experience past life regression, exploration between lifetimes, self-healing performed by your subconscious, release of trapped trauma, and answers to your most important life questions. Your higher self has a message for you and is here to help you and guide you on this life journey. Book a session today with Jennifer Mitchell at thesoulexperiences.com.